adore you, Lord. We give you all the praise, glory, God. Oh, you made the way to see the
praise you, Lord. That is who you are. That is who you are. Oh, that is who you are. Yes, 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 you are. Y
Hallelujah. Matthew 16. You can turn me down just a little bit. Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, 
And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. For the Lord says, in this, these last days, I am not only releasing and opening doors of revelation, but the Lord says, I'm releasing keys of my kingdom out of glory. For the Lord says, will you receive these keys? For by these keys, you shall bind the enemy and you shall loose my warring angels to do my bidding in this day and in this hour. For the Lord says, my people have been ignorant long enough. But the Lord says, if you will open your hearts and open the doors of revelation that I am opening, for the Lord says, I'm calling out unto you, come up here and I will show you things that must shortly take place. For the Lord said, the spirit of revelation shall be coupled with the keys of my kingdom that will close doors and lock doors that need to be locked and, unop and open doors that have been shut for far too long, says the Lord. For the Lord says, I am releasing, as it were, a spirit of freedom from the bondages of men. For the Lord says, I will not only unlock the hearts and souls of men, that demons may be released from them, but the Lord says, my inheritance is of nations, and I desire to unlock cities, states, and nations, says the Lord. For the Lord says, my kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And the Lord says, my son has asked for the nations, and the nations shall be his. But the Lord says, I am unchaining the nations from demonic principalities and powers, even in this age, says the Lord. For the Lord says, I desire my gospel to not be chained, but to go to and through the nations, that I may harvest, as it were, the harvest that's deserving of a son that has shed his blood for the sins of all mankind. For the Lord says, I am unleashing and I am unchaining my gospel, says the Lord, the everlasting gospel that will release the souls of men and release the nations that there may be, as it were, an open heavens over the nations that my angels would have free reign and free course to bring the signs, wonders, and miracles that will win the nations for me, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Give him the glory. Let's go back into whatever song you guys want to sing because they all were awesome tonight. Amen. Let's begin to praise. Let's give, give him worship. Amen. Before they begin to sing, I just want to read a scripture that goes behind the word that Pastor Rob just gave. And with Passover, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased it all, all of it. Our sins, our stained soul, he deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed upon his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus made 
a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Hallelujah. Give him glory. Give him praise. We give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks for as he's given. Jesus Christ, His Son, give thanks with a grateful heart, give thanks to the Holy One, give thanks because He's given. Jesus Christ is Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done. I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Hallelujah. We give Him glory. We give Him praise tonight. I want to share something that happened to me this week. I was driving to the church, and I had a vision. How many know you can have a vision while you're driving? Amen. And I saw a, a watch, and the watch was broken. There was a crack in the, in the crystal, and the clock stopped at 12.11. It's 12.11. And I don't know if this word is for a particular person or is it just a, a general word because there's a word that goes with this particular vision that I had. Is anybody here that you had a, a watch break recently? You had a crystal in your watch broke or a, a, a watch that was broken recently? Okay, it may not be for a particular person. Okay. Is that you? Yeah, come, come up. Yeah, come up. Come up. All right. I think that's probably it. The other, the other thing, the 12-11 is December 11th. Anybody have a birthday or an anniversary on 12-11? December 11th. Okay. Okay. This is it right here. Okay. So you just had a, a watch break. Oh, okay. It's just not working. 
Okay, and it just broke. Did it? It just stopped working. Just stopped working. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So, so, so the twelve eleven is Revelation twelve eleven, is what this scripture is. And uh, it says, and they overcame him. Can we? There's a little bit of popping on here. Can we work on that? A little bit of popping on the mic. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. And this is the word of the Lord to you. For the Lord says, I'm stopping in this place of time. For the Lord says, this is a Kairos moment. The Lord said, I'm stopping in this place. For the Lord says, as you apply the blood of the Lamb... To your lineage, the Lord says, as you apply my precious blood to your genealogy, as you apply my precious blood, the Lord says, I'm going to reverse every blood curse and every generational curse that's been set against you and your family and your lineage. For the Lord says, my blood will trump and overcome, overwhelm, and redeem any other blood that has been shed on every evil altar, says the Lord. And the Lord says, as you apply the blood of the Lamb to your life and to your bloodline, the Lord says, I'm going to redeem your genealogy. I'm going to redeem your family and I'm going to reverse a generational curse that's been set against you and your family. And the Lord says, you have felt as if that you have not been up to the task or that you were unworthy. But the Lord says, I have chosen you out of your family to be a bondage breaker, a curse breaker, and a blessing bringer to your family. And the Lord says, if you will apply the blood of the lamb, and if you will confess out of your mouth the testimony of breakthrough and of healing, the Lord says, I will make a stand and stand with you in my courts that every curse off on your family would be broken and that there would be a verdict and a judgment that I would release that would bring freedom and liberty to your family. For the Lord says, I've seen your tears and I've heard your prayers over your family. And the Lord says, because you've been willing to lay down your life for me and my gospel, the Lord says, I will move that which has seemingly been immovable, and I will remove the roadblocks that the enemy has placed before you that you would receive the victory for not only you, but your family, says the Lord. The Lord says, now is the time for I'm stopping here. For my blood will redeem and the confession of your mouth of my victory that I've given unto you because you have laid down your life. The Lord says you will overcome every assignment of the enemy 
in your family, says the Lord. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, right now we break. We break right now every demonic curse in the name of Jesus. We break every generational curse. And, Father, we proclaim liberty. I want everybody to say liberty, freedom over her family in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We give you glory. We give you the praise. It's a real sweet spirit in here tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, rock. Just begin to pray in the spirit with me, will you? Hallelujah. Give him glory. Give him praise. Give him honor. Father, we worship you. Go ahead and sing. What do we got? There we go. Let's sing at church. Jesus, holy and anointed one, Jesus, Jesus,
showing me that you know as we're entering into this new season of awakening and revival as we're entering into this promised land it's so important that we that we can see with our spiritual eyes and I saw in the spirit you know you've heard about a gag order where people they put a gag in your mouth and you can't speak well, what I saw was I saw a blindfold on, on a prophetic people and how many of you know that you know you can go into a promised land but if you can't see you're at a disadvantage because when we move into a land of promise if you can't see the enemy will take advantage of you how many know that that one of the strategies of the enemy is to blind a prophetic people because if you can't see you can't move forward you can't does that make sense now so has anybody in here, you know, you, you are a seer, but you haven't been seen recently. You haven't been seen. Okay, that's you. I saw you. And that, I saw you. That's who I saw. And I saw, of course, I knew you had told me that the other day. But I saw you, and there was a light rising uh, behind you. There was like the glory of God, and your hands were raised. I saw it in a vision while we were singing. And I saw you with your hands raised and the light was behind you in this thing. And you were like worshiping God, but you couldn't see. You couldn't see. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break that off. I'm going to break it off my wife. Come, everybody, come on, stretch forth your hands. Anybody else, you're a seer, but you haven't been seen. Anybody else like that? So I'm going to break off. I'm gonna, I, I know there's some seers that walked in here tonight. And, and you're frustrated because you're not seeing like you used to see. Does that make sense? All right. So we're we're gonna we're gonna break the curse of blindness, spiritual blindness. Amen. We're gonna break break that curse tonight. In fact, you're gonna break it with me. All right. Are you ready to say what you're gonna say? All right. So I want you to say this with me, Father, in Jesus' name. I break the curse of blindness off my spiritual eyes and I remove the blinders so that I can see in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm just going to lay hands on you. I'm just going to lay hands on you tonight. That's okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we remove this blindfold, and I say, spirit eyes, see, see, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Father, I break off 
I break off the spirit of blindness right now in the name of Jesus. Spiritual blindness. Go! Right now. The eyes of our hearts be opened in the name of Jesus. Be opened in the name of Jesus. Spiritual blindness. Go! In the name of Jesus. I rebuke. I remove the spiritual blinders right now in the name of Jesus. And I command the eyes of your eyes of your spirit to see. See again, dream again, see again, dream again in the name of Jesus. Spiritual eyes be open. Eyes of your understanding be opened. Be enlightened. We remove the blinders. See. In the name of Jesus. See. In the name. In the name of Jesus. Dreams and visions. Dreams and visions. Dreams and visions. Dreams and visions. Return. Return. In the name of Jesus. We remove every spiritual blindfold. In the name of Jesus. Eyes of your heart. Be opened. In the name of Jesus. See. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, spiritual eyes be open, be open, be open. We remove the blindfold. Dreams and visions return. Prophetic vision return. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, spiritual blindness, go right now. In the name of Jesus, eyes of your heart, eyes of your heart, be open. Dreams, visions, prophetic vision. That the eyes of your heart be enlightened in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we break off spiritual blindness. In the name of Jesus, eyes of your heart, your spirit be open, visions, dreams return. In the name of Jesus, open, 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 open. In the name, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, eyes of your heart be open. Dreams and visions return. I remove the spiritual blindfold in the name of Jesus. See in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, dreams and visions return. In the name, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Eyes be open. Eyes of your heart be open. We remove the spiritual blinders. Dreams and visions return in the name of Jesus. Open, 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 open up in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, eyes open in the name of Jesus. Eyes of our heart, eyes of our spirit open. We remove the spiritual blinders in the name of Jesus. We remove the blindfold. Eyes be open, eyes of your heart. Dreams and visions return in the name of of Jesus. Eyes of your understanding, eyes of your heart, eyes of your spirit be open in the name of Jesus. 
Dreams and visions return. Dreams and visions return. In the name of Jesus. Open, open, open. Spiritual vision return. We remove the blinders in the name of Jesus. Open, open, open. The eyes of your heart be opened in the name of Jesus. Dreams and visions return. Jesus' name. Eyes of your understanding, your heart, your spirit be opened in the name of Jesus. Dreams and visions return. Dreams and visions return in the name of Jesus. We remove the blindfold right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we break the curse. We break the curse of blindness in the name of Jesus. We break it in the name of Jesus. We break the curse of blindness in the name of Jesus. Eyes be open. Eyes be open. Eyes be open. Eyes be open. Eyes of your heart be open in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Give him glory. Give him praise. Okay. Hallelujah. Oh, you're good. Father, we just break the curse of blindness in the name of Jesus. We remove the blinders. Eyes, oh, eyes of your heart be opened in the name of Jesus. See! Dreams and visions return in the name of Jesus. Jesus, mighty name, hallelujah. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give him glory. Hallelujah. God is good. All the time. God is good. Hallelujah. Praise God. Worship team. Awesome job, Ryan and Kelly. Bless you guys. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right. We're going to jump right into the Word tonight. How many of you excited about the Word? Yes. Amen. All right. Strategic level spiritual warfare. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24. Strategic level, level spiritual warfare. So we're not talking about casting out demons. How many know there's different levels of spiritual warfare? So we're not talking about personal deliverance tonight. We're talking about strategic level spiritual warfare. That means principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places over cities, states, and nations. Amen. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Isaiah chapter 24 and begin at verse 5. The earth is also defiled, say with me, defiled, under its inhabitants, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse, say with me, the curse, has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. 
Now, how many of you realize that when when uh, there's iniquity in the land, in the culture, that the sin actually affects the ground. It actually affects the earth. Amen? And so uh, what we found is that there's four major types of sin that defile and bring a curse on the land and empower spiritual host of wickedness to reign over a region. So you want to know what those four different types of sin are? Okay, one person does. <laughs> All right, let's go over the sins that defile and curse the land. Number one, innocent bloodshed. Human ritual sacrifices, abortion, murder, genocide are all examples of innocent bloodshed that brings a curse and cries out from the ground to the Lord for redemption. Let me give you an example. You remember when Cain slew Abel in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9, it said, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice, say with me, voice. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. How many of you know that blood has a voice? If you look in the book of Hebrews, it says, in essence, that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel's blood. How many know that Abel's blood cried out for revenge, but Jesus' blood cries out redemption? Amen? So blood actually has a voice in the courts of heaven. Amen? It has a voice that brings testimony. Anytime innocent blood is shed, there's a testimony in the courts of heaven that releases a testimony. Blood that is shed, that is innocent bloodshed due to murder, abortion, genocide, human sacrifice, uh, not only curses the land, but it brings a, uh, a testimony against the inhabitants in the land. It's a standing testimony that has to be answered. Amen? All right. Let me give you another example out of... Well, then verse 11, it says, now, so now you are cursed. He's speaking of Cain here from the earth, which has opened its mouth. How many know that the earth has a mouth? So the earth has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So what happens is, is not only does the blood bring a testimony in heaven, but actually the blood uh, is absorbed into the land and the land is defiled and becomes cursed because of the sin and innocent bloodshed. How many of you realize that? All right. So if you actually have a curse in the land and you've got blood that's been shed and a sin, how many of you know that it enables and empowers a principality to now reign over that place because of the sin in the land? Amen. Jeremiah 32, verse 35. And it says, And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnon, listen, to cause their sons and their daughters 
to pass through the fire to Molech. I mean, you know, it's a false god. They used to do basically, you know, child sacrifices, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. So actually Judah participated in some of these, some of these rituals from some of these neighboring nations and actually defied Judah in the land thereof because of their blood sacrifice. Amen? All right. So one of the first ways that the land is defiled and a curse enters the land is through innocent bloodshed. Number two, witchcraft. Astrology, Freemasonry, fortune-telling, voodoo, Wicca, necromancy, horoscope, tarot card, palm reading are all examples of witchcraft that bring a curse upon the land. In Deuteronomy, Chapter 18, starting at verse 10 on your screen. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Or one who practices witchcraft, a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up from the dead. All right, so there is a curse associated with the sin of witchcraft that literally defiles the land. All right, so that's number two. The third thing that causes uh, sin to defile the land and bring a curse is broken covenants. Jehovah made a covenant with Abraham, which stands today. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so how many of you know that we don't mess with Israel, we bless Israel? Amen. And anybody that messes with Israel, it usually doesn't fare very well. We got a history. If you go look through history, if you mess with God's chosen people, Israel, you're going to be cursed. Amen. Now, it also applies to Israel and Judah as well if they make a covenant and break it. How many of you realize in the book of Joshua it talks about a covenant that was made with the Gibeonites? How many of you remember that? There was a covenant made with the Gibeonites. They lied, and they said, we're a far, 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 uh, uh, faraway land, and we've got this bread that's moldy, and they didn't really realize it was a neighboring nation. But they made covenant with the Gibeonites, and how many know that Israel broke that covenant? And because of it, years later, they had to pay a price for breaking that covenant. All right? So broken covenant also brings a curse to the land as well. Number four is idolatry. These are all sins that bring a curse and defile the land. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Satanism, Baal worship are all examples of idolatry what ultimately brings a curse on the land. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 5. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, and that it is the that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. So idolatry brings a curse and defiles the land. Now, if you remember, there was a 
Moabite king by the name of Balak, who had paid Balaam money to curse Israel. Now, how many realize that Balaam was unsuccessful because you can't curse what God has blessed? And so time after time after time, he said, well, I paid you money. You better curse Israel. And but what he, he, he learned that he could not curse Israel, but what Balaam did teach Balak was that if he could get Israel to go into idolatry, they would already be cursed. And so that's what happened. So the sin of Balaam was to teach, ba uh, teach Israel to fall into idolatry, so they begin to serve other nations. And so, so he didn't have to curse them, but he taught Balak, this is all you have to do is get them serving other gods, and they will automatically come up under a curse. That's what he actually did. So it even talks about it in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, but I have a few things against you because you have here those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now, I don't know how that gets in the church, but here he's addressing it in one of the churches in the book of Revelation, the doctrine of Balaam. How many know that that's a stumbling block? Any form of idolatry is a stumbling block, and it literally brings a curse on the people, and it actually defiles the land. All right, so just to start that out, sins that defile and curse the land, innocent bloodshed, witchcraft, broken covenants, and idolatry. So how many of you realize that when the land is cursed and sin defiles the land, that you actually give legal right to a principality, power, ruler of darkness to reside or preside over that city, state, or nation. How many of you realize that? Amen. And uh, so you've got to take care of the sin in the land before you have the authority or you're giving a judgment out of heaven that will take care of these principalities and powers. How many of you understand that? All right. So we got to understand some of these spiritual principles. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. Okay, and he tells us, he said, But we do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. All right. So, Back about, uh, I guess it's probably been 20, 30 years ago, we had a, a movement of spiritual warfare. But how many know there's a right way and a wrong way to do spiritual warfare? And so we had people screaming at principalities and powers. Amen. We had them binding Jezebel. Uh, we had them binding, uh, you know, uh, Leviathan and these types of things over cities and nations. And some people lost their lives over that. How many of you realize that? And there was a, a book written by John Paul Jackson called Needless Casualties of War. So in this book, he goes into great detail about what you shouldn't do with regard to principalities and powers. Now, I'm not sure if he says that you're never to deal with that because we have a scripture that says that we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. Amen. Amen. But it's how you do spiritual warfare 
that makes all the difference. If you're going to start screaming at the devil, you're going to start screaming at principalities, and you're going to try to bind principalities, how many know you can cast out demons, but you can't cast out a principality? How many realize that? Okay. So there's different types of spiritual warfare, so you need to apply the right tools. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, how to deal, how to successfully do spiritual warfare the Bible way. Okay, that's what we're going to go over tonight. Because just to say, we're not going to do it at all. How many know the devil loves that? Oh, okay, then we're just going to reign over your state. And without an open heavens, we're not going to have the fullness of a revival and awakening. I mean, you may have a little smattering here, a little smattering there. But to have a sweeping move of God's spirit in a revival, you've got to deal with the sin in the land and the principalities over the city, state, and nation. How many of you realize that? Okay. Now, I have had a little bit of experience in this um, through the years. Some of, this, some of these books, you, this one especially, probably don't even know was written. Um, it's an updated version. We came from Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, the Lord had me write this book. I since rewrote it about three or four times. The last one's 2013. It's called Reviving the Holy City. Christ's challenge concerning the church in Charleston. This was Charleston, South Carolina. So I did a spiritual history of uh, the city of Charleston, South Carolina. It was, it was the third, uh, third colony formed in the New World. And there's a lot of history there, but there's also a lot of principalities, powers, rulers of darkness in there. So I did an in-depth study on what actually is over uh, this, this city, I don't have time to teach on this tonight, but it basically summarizes it there. Strongmen, Baal, Queen of Heaven, and Leviathan. Huh? Those are pretty big ones, aren't they? Spirit of mammon, murder, perversion, harlotry, poverty. Under the Queen of Heaven, spirit of divination, death, jealousy, and racism. Leviathan, spirit of pride, religion, rebellion, Jezebel. Anyway, spent some time doing that. And there's also a book, The Valley of the Sun. You may have a copy of that. Fulfilling Christ's redemptive purpose for greater Phoenix in the 21st century. Uh, this is one for this area. So this talks about the redemptive purpose of Phoenix. But how many know every time you, when you find the redemptive purpose of a city, state, or nation, you can usually identify the spiritual strongholds. Now, how many of you know that Arizona is called to be a prophetic state? We're a prophetic state. If you look at the history of prophets in Arizona, it's become a prophet's graveyard. A lot of successful prophetic ministry started here, but they had to go somewhere else to prosper. Bill Hammond, you know, Cindy Jacobs, Paul Kane, uh, you know, Bill uh, um, William Branham. You know, there's there's different a lot of different ministries that came through here. But how many know that the enemy always raises up a counterfeit of the prophetic, and he also raises up direct opposition. So the counterfeit is the New Age movement. You just run up the road to Sedona, and you'll see it's like the New Age capital, right? Because the enemy always counterfeits something that God has that's real. Right? So the book talks about that. But the direct opposition against the prophetic is always Jezebel. And that's the stronghold over Arizona is Jezebel. Anyway, you can read that book about that. Um, all right. So we have to wrestle against these things. Amen. But there's a right way and wrong way to do it. So Jesus teaches us how to do spiritual warfare. How many know he's the perfect teacher? All right. So 
on your screen, Revelation chapter 19, Jesus provides us with a divine strategy of executing a divine judgment that engages the angelic host of heaven who defeat and unseat wicked principalities over regions. All right, Revelation 19.11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who, was, who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges, say with me, judges, and makes war. Notice, notice the order. Judges and makes war. Say with me, judges and makes war. So what we've done is we've made war, but we didn't get a judgment. That's why we get clobbered. Amen. Well, how many know God wants to teach us the right way? So Jesus sets the mark. He judges and he makes war. All right. So in my research, what I found is there's five elements are required to obtain a judgment from the courts of heaven and successfully wage war against a ruler of darkness. Number one, form a house of prayer. A house of prayer, listen now, a house of prayer is required to represent a city, region, or a culture in the courts of heaven. You've got to have a house of prayer. In the Old Testament, this, this is, I don't want to say it's new revelation, it's new to me anyway. In the Old Testament, Israel formed houses of prayer that were led by prophets, priests, and kings. Say with me, prophets, priests, and kings. All right. In the New Testament, an ecclesia, say with me, ecclesia. An ecclesia is a holy governing family of God. Say with me, holy governing family of God, led by apostles and prophets, functions as a house of prayer, having authority and jurisdiction in their city, state, and region. Here's one of the important things. When you form a house of prayer, it needs to have apostolic and prophetic authority. So you have the authority, but you also need to know your jurisdiction. Say with me, jurisdiction. And jurisdiction means boundary of rule. Okay? You need to know your boundaries. Now, the house of prayer that we formed to prepare the way with the apostolic prophetic authority that God's released to us, not that we're the only ecclesia, but we're one, we feel like our boundaries is the state of Arizona. This is where we function in the state. There are other ones. There's other ecclesias that have houses of prayer. We're one of them in the state of Arizona. Amen? All right. Isaiah 56, verse 7, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Say with me, house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called, what? A house of prayer for all nations. Okay, so God wants houses of prayer in every nation because it's, that's what he named it. Even in the New Testament, he said, my house shall be called not a house of power, not a house of his presence, not a house of his peace. No, a house of prayer. We've got to be a house of prayer for all nations. That's where we need to begin. All right. So number one, we have to form a house of prayer. Number two, we need to repent as an ecclesia, as a house of prayer, repent for regional generational sin. 
All right. So profound, genuine repentance for generational, regional iniquities that legally empowered the ruling principality must be wrought by members of the house of prayer. That's the repentance. That's the uh, repentance uh, and the intercession that we bring forth. It's called, a lot of times it's called identificational repentance. I'm going to give you three quick examples of it in the Bible. All right. The repentance is presented as evidence in heavenly courts for that city, state, and nation. Because when you repent of those sins with apostolic prophetic authority, the blood of Jesus is applied to those sins, which redeems the land. Okay, that's the first thing. You've got to redeem the land, and only can come by blood, Jesus' blood. Okay, that redeems the land in the courts of heaven when that repentance is received and recorded. Amen? All right. Let me give you three examples in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. Say with me, confession. And said, O Lord, great and awesome God, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. We have sinned. Not just I have sinned, but we as a nation of sins. Identification, we identify with the sins of the nation. In essence, we repent for the nation. And Ecclesia has the authority to do that. Amen? All right. Ezra, same kind of thing. Ezra chapter 9, verse 6. I said, oh, my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. So here's an apostolic um, leader, in essence, Old Testament. I believe he was a, a priest, Ezra, making repentance for the sins of the nation. Same with Nehemiah. He was like an apostolic person, but he was more like a governor or a king. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 6. Please let your ear be attentive to and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants. And listen now, confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. See, what it is is taking responsibility for the sin. You know, in this generation, everybody wants to pass off, pass the buck, right? We're gonna we're gonna blame, play the blame game. We're gonna blame everybody else for our problems. But how many know one of the key things about uh, walking in leadership capacity is taking responsibility? And so, what you're doing here, as an ecclesia, apostolic prophetic authority, you're taking responsibility for the sins, not just your sins in your houses, but the sins of a city, state, or a nation. Does that make sense? And you begin to repent for those sins because you're taking ownership of it. All right? So this repentance is presented in the courts of heaven. It enables the blood of Jesus to be applied to generational, regional iniquity, removing not only the accusation of sin in the courts, but also the legal right of the principality to rule over that region. Okay, so once the, the sin is what enables that principality to be there, if that sin is remitted through repentance, they no longer have a legal right. Amen? So this generational, regional sin needs not only to be confessed, but also forsaken. Say with me, forsaken. For the blood of Jesus to be applied and the accusation removed. The Bible says... 
that whoever, whosoever covers his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. All right, there was a really good book written a few years ago by John Benefield. It's called Binding the Strongman Over America. Okay, anybody ever read this book? Very powerful book. And he said in the book that the strongman of the strongman over America is Baal. Okay? There's many different names for Baal. But one of the one of the one of the ways to worship Baal is, in essence, to do child sacrifice. Okay? And so in this book, he talks about divorcing Baal in here. Divorcing Baal and remarrying Jesus. And it all sounds really wonderful. It's a, it's a very good concept. But one reason why Baal continues to reign over major regions over America is because abortion continues to be practiced despite the numerous bail renunciations and divorce decrees issued from the body of Christ. Here's the thing. You can repent and renounce something, but if they're still practicing abortion, then that blood altar is still being fed. Okay? So that's why I was really getting excited about Arizona a few months ago when they outlawed abortion, right? I'm not exactly sure where the laws sit right now, but we're moving in the right direction, church. Does that make sense? Amen. There's, I heard a few claps back there. It's gone all right. You still awake? Anybody getting anything out of this so far? Just tell me you're processing. processing. All right. All right. So number one, we form a house of prayer. Number two, we repent of regional generational sin. Number three, once that repentance is placed in place, we need to petition the court for a judgment. What do you want? Okay, so you repented of that sin. What do you want? What are you asking the court to do? Right? Does that make sense? You just can't repent of the sin. Okay, so now you're in a place where you can ask for a judgment, but you got to ask for it in the courts. All right. So after repentance and remission of sins answers all accusations against the plaintiff, the house of prayer in the heavenly court must petition the court for a judgment against that ruler of darkness. Does that make sense? All right. These judgments are rendered from legal cases conducted in a dimension of the spirit called the courts of heaven. Now, Robert Henderson has written many books about it. We taught courses on that. Robert Henderson happens to be uh, on our board of directors and, uh, so he will be coming in November again. Praise God. Amen. I wanted to read out of Daniel chapter 7. Verse 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. Say with me, the court was seated. And the books were open. Oh, so, so there, he's recording a court case there in heaven. And it says in verse 22 that on your, on your screen, and the ancient of days came and a judgment, say with me, judgment, was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Okay? So 
because that judgment was released out of heaven, they could now do something about that principality, ruler of darkness that was reigning over that area so that they now could take possession. How many know it takes a government to take out a government? Okay. So when the government of God, through the body of Christ, how many know we're the hands and feet of Jesus, that even though Jesus gives you a judgment out of heaven, how many know that we've got to execute it in the earth? He can because we're on the earth. Behold, I've given you all power and all authority. Amen? Over all serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by shall any means hurt you. We have the power and authority. He gave it to us. So even though he issues the judgment out of heaven, he can't do anything about it. We have to execute it in the earth because we're here to take possession. Amen? What did he say? Occupy till I come. So we have the authority to do it. We have to do it. Just like, you know, Kenneth Hagin, he had a vision of the Lord. And during the vision of the Lord, uh, a demon came into the picture. And the demon started jumping up and down. He couldn't see Jesus anymore. And he said to the Lord, do something about that demon. And he said, I've done everything I'm ever going to do about that demon. He said, I cannot do anything about it. And Kenneth Hagin says, you mean you will not do anything about it? He said, no, I can't do anything about it. You have to do something about it. And he got a revelation that he had the power and authority. Jesus can't cast the demons out because he told you to do it. Same thing with principalities and powers. This is where people have done a disservice. If you do spiritual warfare the wrong way, you're going to get clobbered. But we're still supposed to do it. We say, oh, you don't want to mess with that principality of power. Well, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principality. we got to do it the right way. That's why we're teaching this tonight. Amen? Does that make sense? All right. We need to look for that judgment. All right, so we get a petition out of the court. And number four, number four, we have to execute the written judgment that's been given to us. How do we do that? Amen? How do we execute the judgment? You get a judgment on the head. Hey, you've got the right now to get rid of that thing. Now, how do we execute the judgment? Psalm 149 tells you how to do it. Psalm 149. Verse 5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud. Say with me, sing aloud. On their beds. Listen, verse 6. Let the high praises, say with me, high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Why? To execute. Say with me, execute. That's a legal term. To execute vengeance on the nation, nations and punishments on the people. To bind. Say with me, bind. That's a legal term. What did you say? Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be heaven. Here's where this comes in. Bind their kings. What is he talking about? He's talking about principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron. Verse 9, to execute. Say with me, execute. The legal term. Execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all of the saints. All in the Hebrew, Greek, Spanish, German. All means what? All. All. Have all the saints. What I believe he means here, not all of us as individuals, but all of us corporately as part of a house of prayer with apostolic prophetic authority, as with the high praises of God in them out, execute judgment. And we're going to see how those kings, those principalities and nobles are bound. 
You're going to see how that happens. Amen? You're going to see that in a minute. All right? So the high praise is in our mouth. Why do you think we're doing the one new sound? We're practicing for when we get that judgment of heaven, when we release the one new sound, the high praises of God is going to execute the judgment of God, removing the principality, getting uh, Jezebel out of our atmosphere. Amen? So we can have uh, open heavens so that there is a sweeping move of God, not just bonfires here and there. All right, now we got bonfires of revival. Thank God for them. Bonfires of revival. We've got outbreak here, outbreak here. But when you have a sweeping move of God's spirit, there's nothing hindering. And it's you, what's hindering is up here. Amen? In the book of Revelation, the judgment of God on his church and the nations is executed by the sharp two-edged sword that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Revelation 1.16. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Revelation 2.16. said judgment on the church of Pergamos. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. Revelation 19.15. In judging the nations. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. Okay? So this is the tool right here. This is how you execute the judgment, through the high praises of God out of your mouth. Does that make sense? All right. So in the full armor of God, there are only two offensive weapons. One is the shoes of peace. How many know these shoes you could just trample the enemy? Amen? God of peace shall crush Satan underneath your feet. Shortly, right? The shoes of peace, offensive weapon, the only other one is the sword of the spirit. Okay? The sword of the spirit is here, up, out. Just like the short, two-edged sword out of your mouth. Does that make sense? I'm going to prove that. All right? Ephesians 6, 17. And take the sword of the spirit, say with me, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We always used to say, you know, take, pick up your Bible, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. No. The, 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 the shoes of peace is the gospel of peace. That's the written word of God. That's what's on your feet. The sword of the spirit comes out of your mouth. Okay? Let me prove it to you. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication. How? In the spirit. So take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Come in here when you pray in the spirit, you're praying the perfect will of God. We do not know how, know how we should pray for as we ought, for the Spirit makes intercession with us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, for he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when you're praying in the Spirit, you are praying the perfect will of God. When you're singing in the Spirit the, the judgments of God, you are actually releasing in the Spirit, by the Spirit, the words of God that is executing the judgment written out of your mouth by praying and singing in tongues. That's why we practice that. I mean, when Robert Schlereth says, oh, I haven't been in a church in a long time that sings in the Spirit. Why? Because we're practicing up. For when we get that judgment out of heaven, Amen? We begin to execute the judgment written out of your mouth. As you're praying in tongues, you're executing the judgment written out of your mouth. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying in the Spirit. Amen? You get it? 
So it's not screaming at the devil, not screaming at a principality, not trying to bind the devil. He gets bound, but we're going to show you how, show you how he gets bound. So once you release the word of the Lord by praying in the spirit, number five, you engage war angels through praise out of your mouth. Singing aloud the high praises of God engages warring angels who wrestle with, defeat, and unseat rulers of darkness, thereby executing the written judgment. How do we know that? Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word. What is he saying here? Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying in the Spirit. So when you pray in the Spirit, you're actually engaging the angels. How do we know that? The Bible says that if I speak in the tongues of men and even of angels. Do you understand when you're praying in the Spirit sometimes, you're praying in the tongues of angels. Why? Because you're giving angels instructions. You're telling them what to do. They're waiting. They can't. They get some instructions from heaven, but there's certain ones that when we speak, that they move. So when you execute the judgment written out of your mouth, praying and singing in the spirit, you execute the judgment. They're actually doing the work. Amen. Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all talking about angels, ministering spirits sent forth? To minister for, say with me, for those who will inherit salvation. Doesn't say minister to, although angels will minister to you. They're here to minister for you. That means they're here to work for you. I remember this guy came to this church. I think I told this story before, but a guy came to this church and uh, he saw a few angels in the corner. And he said, what are you guys here for? Or what are you doing? He said, what are you guys doing? Not much. They answered him, not much. Because nobody put them to work. I remember one story we were in and said, all idle angels that have nothing to do, come to prepare the way. We'll put you to work. Amen? Because there are angels on assignment. They got nothing to do because we haven't been giving them any instruction. We haven't been praying in the spirit. We haven't been releasing them to do what they need to do. They're bored. Amen. I don't want no bored angels in this church. Amen. They're there to do a job. Angels of deliverance. Angels of healing. Angels of breakthrough. Angels of harvest. They're all looking for something to do. We got to put them to work. Amen. All right. So minister for us. All right. I got one example. One really good example. You want to hear it? It's going to hit every one of these steps. It's actually an Old Testament example. I really need you to open your Bibles. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Okay, we're going to hit every one of these five things. It's, it's exemplified in Second Chronicles 20. All right, let me kind of set the stage for you. King Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And everything was going along really good. But then they had some neighboring nations, the Moabites, the Ammonites, 
and the people of Mount Seir, they decided we're going to invade Judah. And they had a real big army, the three of them. Moabites, Ammonites, and the people from Mount Seir, they're going to attack Judah. Well, King Jehoshaphat gets wind of it. He's kind of concerned. So what does he do? Let's look at 2 Chronicles 20. Look at verse 4. So Judah gathered together, say with me, gathered together, to ask help from the Lord. And when all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Say with me, seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord, which became a house of prayer. Okay? Before the new court. So they actually had formed a place that was a replica, in essence, served as a court on earth that mimicked the court of heaven that they were going to. Okay? In the house of the Lord, where did they assemble? All of Judah. They all came together. All the city of Judah, all of them came together into the house of the Lord before the new court. All right. So what did they do? They instantly formed a house of prayer. That's what they did. All right. So the foundation of this Old Testament house of prayer was King Jehoshaphat. Remember what we said, who established a house of prayer in the Old Testament? A prophet, priest, and a king. Right? So we got the king, King Jehoshaphat. What about the prophet and priest? We found who he is in 2 Chronicles 20:14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Say with me, Jehaziel. The son of Zechariah, a Levite. Say with me, Levite, of the sons of Asaph. Well, it turns out Jehaziel was a prophet, and he was from the tribe of Levi, which were priests. Okay? So there's your complement of prophet, priest, and king right there. All right. So Judah formed a house of prayer. Number two, Judah fasted and sought the Lord. Second Chronicles 20, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast through all Judah. So anytime there's fasting and prayer, they're seeking the Lord, asking the Lord, is there any sin? Is there any sins that we've committed? that would allow this attack from the enemy, okay? So they sought the Lord in that, humbly fasting and seeking the Lord to examine their hearts, again, to see if there was any sin or corporate iniquity that opened a demonic door for the Moabites and Ammonites to attack them. Number three, Jehoshaphat sought a divine judgment. Okay, so apparently... The attack on Judah was not the product of their sin, as there was no specific repentance recorded in Scripture. It's not there. Therefore, Jehoshaphat presented Judah's case before the Lord, reminding the Lord of his promise of protection. How many of you know you can do that in the court? It's like, Lord, this is what you said you would do. So that's what he did. He went into the courts. They hadn't, they hadn't sinned. There's no re record of sin so they began to present their case to the Lord and remind him of his promise of protection. Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might 
so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here, here he presents, he goes, and now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would have not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Basically, he's saying is, we let these people go. We could have killed them. You said not to kill them. Now they're attacking us and want to take our land. All right? So then Jehoshaphat petitioned the Lord in the court for a judgment against Mo, the Moabites, Ammonites, and the people of Mount Seir. Here we are. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. Let's look at that. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Say it with me, judge them. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So now that he's in the court, he pleads his case. And he asked for a judgment. Will you not judge them, Lord? All right. So there is a judgment issued out of heaven because we're going to see how this happens. All right. Number four, Judah executes the written judgment. Before Judah could execute the Lord's judgment against the demonic powers influencing, how many know that Israel's battle wasn't against the Moabites and Ammonites themselves, but it was the principality driving them? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But they ended up being judged because they were under the influence and they were coming against Israel. But actually the judgment was against those principalities. Amen? They needed to know. So, so listen. So they needed to know what the judgment was and how to execute it, right? That's the importance of the prophetic anointing. Notice in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. In the New Testament, apostle and what? Prophet. In both cases, you had to have a prophet, a prophet or a seer. You need a prophet or a seer in the courts. I'm going to tell you why. You've got to have a prophet as part of your house of prayer because the prophetic anointing will allow them to know when the courtroom's open, when repentance is sufficient and complete, when there are no more accusations in the court, they know when the judgment's rendered, and they know what the judgment is and how to execute it. And this is exactly what the prophet Jehaziel got. Look at verse 14, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. Listen, verse 15. And he said, listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That was the first thing he told him. Okay. 
This is God's war. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. The battle is God's. But notice in the next, po- next passages, listen to the prophetic detail given by Jehaziel, including, listen now, the location of the enemy and what to do to defeat the enemy. Second Chronicles 20, verse 16. Watch now. Tomorrow, go down against him. He's given prophetic instructions in this prophetic word. Go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. That was the specific place. The prophet knew exactly where the enemy was going to be. Okay? He gave that instruction. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. I mean, the Lord showed him exactly where the enemy was going to be. Verse 17. Listen. More instructions. This is how they were going to execute you. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now he told them to go out against them, but he told them you won't have to fight. You will not need to fight in this battle. Amen? So that very night, listen now, That very night, the Levites, a priestly people, began to execute the written judgment on the demonic forces driving the Moabites and Ammonites. How? Through high praise. They began that evening. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 19. Then the Levites stood up to praise the Lord of Israel with voices loud and high. What kind? High praises. Amen. The next morning, King Jehoshaphat exhorted the people to believe the words of Jehaziel, the prophet of the Lord, which would cause them to prosper. Okay? This is what he said. 2 Chronicles 20.20. We use this all the time. Believe in the Lord your God, so you shall be established. Believe as prophets, and you shall, what? Prosper. That word in the Hebrew, prosper, means to break out mightily. What did they need to break mightily out of? The fear that would paralyze them. And it also means break out mightily and to push forward. What did they need to push forward into? Obedience unto victory. That's what the prospering is. So prophetic ministry will cause you to break out mightily of whatever's hindering you and push you forward into God's will. Amen? So before going to war, Jehoshaphat appointed singers to praise the beauty of the Lord's holiness. 2 Chronicles 20, 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing, say with me, sing, to the Lord, and who should praise, say with me, praise, the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army. And we're saying, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. So they did their part. They executed with the high praises of God, began to praise the Lord. They began to execute the judgment. Then what happens next? Number five. They engaged the angels. Second Chronicles 20.22. Now listen. When Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord 
set ambushes, say with me, ambushes, against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. So i got a question for you. How did the Lord set ambushes against the Ammonites when Judah was told that they were not to fight and to stand still? The angels. That's right. How did the Lord set ambushes? Through angel armies. They did their part. They praised and worshiped God, and they stood still. And the Lord set angels, and the angels killed them all. How do we know that? Second Chronicles 20, 23. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. They actually turned on one another. Well, I'm telling you, the angels were there to set an ambush. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and when there were all these dead bodies fallen to the earth, no one had escaped. Not one. Amen? Do you see, do you see how this works? Hallelujah. All right. Well, there's other examples in the Bible, but I felt one really good one would reinforce this teaching tonight. Amen. Does that, does that real Bible experience? See, one of the things that we've learned, and the Lord began to show me this a few weeks ago, and I preached a message on it. See, like in Arizona, we have a principality of Jezebel over us. Amen. But here's the thing. You can't deal with Jezebel if Jezebel's in you. You can't. And the Lord showed me, and I'm not going to re-preach the message, but if there's Jezebelic jealousy in the hearts of apostles and prophets in Arizona, we're not going to be able to get a judgment out of heaven. Right. And so we need to resolve the jealousy because that's what's holding us back. When Jeremiah Johnson was here a couple of years ago, he had a dream the night before he preached here that the body of Christ in Arizona was fighting over who would erect the cross in Arizona. If that's not jealousy, I don't know what is. Competition, jealousy. So here's the deal. If there's Jezebelic jealousy in the hearts of leaders, we have to resolve that before we can deal with this. Does that make sense? Amen. Everybody stand. Anybody get anything out of that tonight? Yes. Praise God. We could have our ministry team come on up. Ministry team leaders. If you need special prayer tonight, if you need healing in your body, I know we got some people out of town, but there we go. We got if you need healing in your body, if you need um, prayer of agreement, if you need some wisdom about a situation, our ministry team's here to minister to you. If we could just put the background music on. We, it's getting kind of late. so. But um, praise God. I just want to bless you. Just stretch forth your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless your people tonight. 
Father, I declare that they are the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath, blessed in the city and blessed in the field. I decree, Lord God, that they are ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation, epistles read of all men, vessels of honor fit for the master's use. They may have come in as a lamb, but they're going out as a lion tonight. So on the count of three, we're going to roar in this church. Ready, church? One, two, three. God bless you. Don't forget to get some prayer. We will see you Sunday morning. Amen.